we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, once again to Match Point Number Nine, a tennis bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis. If this is your first time listening, chances are that's how you found us. Welcome, hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, thank you. And thankfully, there are a, a growing number of you. So pretty cool. Great month for the pod in January, both in terms of engagement and winners. Thank you. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Uh, we got the AO in the rearview mirror. So now we got three 250s on our hands uh, all across the globe. And uh, if you were following our bets at the Australian Open, so you got some house money to play with. And with us, as always, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at JR Tweets Tennis. You can find his own brand at Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network betting expert, Hammer HQ. If you bet on tennis and use Twitter to do so, chances are you know this guy. John, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure to be here. We've got tennis back. Well, at least ATP back. I was still betting last week, but that's because, you know, the WTA still went. But we're uh, we're back to the grind of like those six, seven, eight tournament weeks. Always fun. Always fun when you bet on everything to, to handicap 100 matches a day. We are grinding. We had a week off last time out for this podcast was the Australian Open semifinals. And since this is a betting podcast, a, a gambling podcast, transparency is king. So quick recap of what we talked about last time, which we hit Steph and the over in the semifinal against Hachanov. We missed on the aces. Uh, we said the under. That did not come in. And then Derek and John both had the under 30 and laid the eight and a half with Novak, and I was an idiot and chased uh, the eight and a half. So there you go. And of course, we had Novak winning it all. Well, let's flip the page, as they say, to this week. I mean, a lot of action. We got three sites here, varying degrees of excitement for each site, <laughs> I have to say. Well, let's kick it off with the one that starts our day, starts the slates each day, ATP Montpellier. Longstanding ATP event held every year, but one since 1987. Fast indoor hardcourt slash cheer Alexander Bublik beat Alexander Zverev. 6-4-6-3 to win the title in a battle of Alexander's, battle of Sasha's, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Zverev actually won this in 2017. Goffin won in 2021. A Frenchman often wins this thing. Gasquet won three times, but lost to... Arthur Fies, an exciting match for the young Frenchman. So he's out as a, a three-time winner. Normally, you know, in the fall last year, we were about the quarterfinals. So as we're recording here on a Tuesday, a lot of this tournament uh, and the other two tournaments ahead. So let's hop right into some draw talk and go into some matches that are going to be played after this hits podcast feed. So this is for tomorrow. Uh, starting Wednesday, and then we'll we'll look deeper into the draw. But this is for your Wednesday slate here. Let's kick it off with little Michael Emer versus Rusevori. Emer is a minus one twenty favorite, and Rusevori is even money as the dog. One game spread here totals at twenty two and a half, so pretty neutral. These two are two and two all time head to head. Uh, Emer is one two on the on the faster surfaces, and Rusevori is one on the slower surfaces. Uh, I like. Michael Emer here as uh, essentially pick. He's a slight favorite. Um, this is boils down to what have you done for me lately? And I, I can't be on another podcast picking Emil Rusevori to win a match, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> as he has not come through for me. Switch it up. Switch it up then, right? <laughs> yes. He can't beat him, join him. It's the opposite, I guess. Can't win with yeah. him, fade him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but I, I I think this is a, a good setup here for Emer. Uh, you should, you know, even though these are quicker services, going to be quicker points, I still feel like uh, the baseline play is going to come or be a pretty big factor in this matchup. And uh, Rusevori just, he's not very good. I look for Emer too. He's a, who's a, I would say a, a more solid indoor hardcore player than Rusevori. John, do you agree with that assessment? I was actually surprised to hear uh, that little kind of nugget on, um, or tidbit, if you will, pun intended, uh. on the um, quick court versus slow court. I would actually think it would be the other way around. I think the slow courts and the defending of Emir and the, and the backhands and the ability to drag out points and, and coax errors would actually help him. And Rusuvori wants the point shorter. So uh, go figure. I, I have I don't I don't bet Emir matches where it's this close, and I think it's going to be a close match. I have no interest in it. Um, unless one of these guys was like plus 150, then you're kind of forced because because it's just too close of a match to let that go by. But when it's nice and close like this, I'm like, thank God. Uh, whenever the books and the markets get email matches right, I am happy because I don't have to bet. I don't have to care about, you know, emails care level, really. Yeah, it's like Rusevori was catching my eye last year towards the end. I never got confident enough just to start backing him. Thank God I didn't. And with Emer, just like sometimes he shows up, sometimes he doesn't. Like with you, or you're saying it's like the book just makes it so close, and you're just like, oh, cool, I don't have to bet it. Um, but like if you want to bet this one, I mean, I I think it's like a 50-50 matchup. But I don't know, paying an extra twenty cents for Emer, I, I think that's not too bad of a bet. I lean Emer in that matchup, but it doesn't sound like uh, the crew here has a, a solid read or take or hammer action, if you will, on that one. So let's keep it moving here. we got three sites. We've got a lot of matches to discuss. So let's dive into the next one on the slate here over in France, and that's uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina as a slight dog to Ugo Umber, who is a minus 130 favorite. Fokina plus 110 on the money line. Uh, game and a half on the game spread and a neutral 22 and a half total here. Let's see. Fokina went 0-6 on indoor hard last year, according to Tennis Tonic, 18-23 and all-time indoor. Obviously a slight lean to the Frenchman in terms of surface. These guys have played twice with ADF winning on clay in Portugal in 2021. Ugo winning on indoor carpet, which we don't get to talk about a lot, uh, in 2018 in Switzerland. Tough one for me because I hate Ugo, but I, I do think he is a deserved favorite in this matchup yeah i think um i'd agree with that i think the flat ball kind of play you could do the home soil because the french do support their crowds a lot of european countries do tennis is a lot bigger in europe just in general like as a proportion of you know the the sports pie it's a lot it's a lot bigger of a slice than than here in north america but um i i don't I like the if the points are shorter, you're obviously going to trust Ugo more here because the serve is bigger. Uh, he doesn't have as much time for errors, and if the points are shorter, Davidovich Fokina doesn't have as much time to run around and and I don't want to say his antics because it's not really an antic. It's actually his gameplay and his strategy, and it's very effective. His athleticism is kind of minimized the faster the courts get. Right, the slower they get, just like Alcaraz. Uh, again, he's not Alcaraz. I, I hate doing this with the tennis betting community. Like, well, I'd be like, oh, you just compared him to Alcaraz, but in that sense. The slower the courts get, the more and more they're going to make you hit. They're going to make you work. They're going to make incredible shots on the run. Speed the courts up, and you can take that away from them a bit. So I think um, I'd go advantage uh, Ugo here. Again, this is another match for me where it's like perfect, you know. It's a slight favorite. It's nothing disrespectful. I don't have to get involved between two guys I positively hate betting because Ugo can net so many balls. He's got so little margin for error um, when he hits. Uh, that net clearance is so low. And then, of, of course, Davidovich Fokina 
just has, you know, all gas, no breaks is his style. It's I'm going to go ham. I'm going to go for these crazy shots. They're low margin, but when they hit, watch out. I'm perfectly happy to let this one go by as well. <laughs> Certainly one worth watching though, right? Like it's going to be a, you'd think it'd be a great match to watch as a fan. I really thought with that buildup, you were going to take Ugo and bear. And then all three of us were going to have a group <laughs> consensus on actually picking one person. Uh, I'm going to take Ugo and bear here though. Uh, it's, it's in France. Like I can rally off the crowd. That's going to be back at him for sure. Yeah. He did have a pretty down year last year for sure. I mean, I stayed away from him last all through last year and uh he had like an impressive showing at australian open if you want to consider those two wins that he got and then he got whooped by runa uh he didn't do too hot in that challenger event last week but um still it's like fokino can just tank at any drop of the hat but i mean he could also level up his game but he's also one to get frustrated by uh, an intense crowd too so um yeah i would stick with ugo on that side yeah, Ugo definitely was feeding off the crowd in that Runa match that he lost, but uh, and he has been trending up after really trending down. Fokina will uh, prat fall about five times in this match, but I do think uh, Ugo will uh, outlast him. And uh, it's a, it's a, I mean, one thirty. I, I wish it was closer to just pick. I have to say, don't love the price on that one. We have the returning champion here coming in as a slight dog to uh, Gregor Barrer. Bublik is 2-1 and one against this guy, though. Both wins on indoor hardcore. The loss coming on grass at Wimbledon. Bublik is plus 115 on the money line, and uh, the favorite is at minus 140, the Frenchman. Again, game and a half on the game's line here. This one is a little bit jacked up to 23 in the total. One thing to note here is Davis Cup, right? These ties, a lot of these guys have travel concerns, uh, right down to the challenger level. Casper going from Asia to Lithuania. A lot of these first round matches, and there's there's so many of them, is because of travel concerns. These tournaments want to have better players at their tournaments, but if they say we're going to play our entire first round Monday and Tuesday, and Bublik was playing in Chile until Sunday, and then he loses six hours trying to fly to Europe, he's just going to say, forget it, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to bother playing. It's 250 points. It's not like he cares about his ranking all that much or the sport in general and from, you know, the attitude he gives off. So, like, why is he going to bother going? So you play it on Wednesday. Same thing goes for Pedro Kachin. He had to go from Europe or Finland back down to uh, Argentina. He gets till tomorrow. And, you know, this one got up to plus 138 at Pinnacle uh, at one point. And I said, man, I am going to hit that if he gets till Wednesday. If it's Tuesday, you can't because he leaves... You know, he's got to do his recovery. He probably can't get out of Chile to North America until Monday. Then he's got to get a Monday night flight. He's there Tuesday morning. That jet lag, you're done. But if you get that night to recoup and reset and play Wednesday, I think you've got a good chance. And I think the market kind of adjusted to that. Once they saw, okay, he is going to play Wednesday. You saw that come down 18 cents. It's now plus 120 at Pinnacle. That might still be worth it. He's the defending champ. He likes quick courts. I mean, he's not flying from Chile to Europe to play an unmotivated match unless he's getting a massive appearance fee check. And he's got the better game for me. Like, he's just got the bigger game. Uh, and, I like, you see the shot making he can he can come up with. Uh, he's like a, a Kazakh Kyrgios, right? So I do think plus 120 still might have some value in it. And, you know, we'll get to it, it when we get to Cordoba. But same thing with Pedro Kachin. I think the market saw these travel spots. They bet the fate. They, you know, they bet the opposite side heavily. Maybe a little too far, especially considering these guys don't play their first round till Wednesday now. Okay, so I sort of agree with you with Bublik doesn't care about his ranking, as in I think he sort of cares about his ranking. Um, now that he's protecting a bunch of points here, I, I think it's in like it's motivation for him to keep those points. 
so he can be lazy for the rest of the year. So yeah, uh, like what I'm thinking here is that, dude, is this a sucker's bet? Uh, that I don't know. We'll, we'll find out in the end, but still, like, isn't, I, I'm willing to risk it on that, right? Isn't every bet on a Bublik match a sucker's bet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a sucker every single time I bet on right? Bublik. 100%. Exactly. I, I, I keep doing it, and I keep doing it. And I'll probably uh-huh. do it again tomorrow. And uh-huh. I know it's probably a sucker's bet, but I mean, it's it. the numbers are, I, I don't think he's got an under 50% chance to win. If he shows up and plays and he's got an extra day, I, I think he's over 50%. So, I mean, it's a good, in my mind, it's a good bet, even if it's a sucker's bet. <laughs> like, do you feel like odds makers are just laughing every single time they see Bublik on the slate? <laughs> and then us on the other side of the table, we're just like biting our fingernails, yeah. not knowing what to do. Like, oh, I hate these guys. Why do they even give us odds for this dude? But yeah, <laughs> all right. I'm a sucker. Let's let's throw it on Bublik. I'm going to play blue book too. This to me, like we were talking in the chat about like, I'm no longer playing matches where I'm asking, why is this line this way? Or why is this price this way? I, I, I kind of, now that you, you, you've laid it out, I, I kind of understand. And I actually think they just have uh, the Frenchman mispriced minus 140. Like, should that guy be minus 140 against anyone on tour? I mean, well, I mean, like- this is his specialty French indoors. He's got like, six challenger titles and i think all of them are french indoors he's got 13 challenger finals i think like 10 or 11 are french indoors like this is his specialty he likes quick courts he's got a flat game uh, he he shouldn't be like you know plus 180 or anything like he's talented but like you said should be minus 150 against a defending champion with a huge game was like a top 30 40 player top 25 player even like that's a little bit much all right, I'll walk back my against anybody but my it just seems like <laughs> it just seemed like a a, a bit much all right. Well, the other only other match we have odds for right now, and then we'll we'll dive deeper into the the draw as a whole is uh, Feast against uh, RBA. RBA is laying four and a half games here against the young Frenchman. He's minus five hundred to win. I don't know, man. I kind of like uh, the Frenchman plus four and a half games here. What do you think, uh, John? Man, this kid's good, and uh, I I really might. And we talked about this in the chat as well. My numbers showed value on him against Gasquet. And my mind and the kind of the qualitative side of the handicap was like, don't do it, man. This kid is very is very raw, doesn't have great game planning, can get a little erratic. And Gasquet with the spins and the way he, you know, if he sees you pulled off the court, he'll take the ball earlier and go the other way, kind of, you know, take that that time away from you even more. And it looked like that early, right? Gasquet led 4-1. He had break points for a double break in a couple straight games. Fils fought them off. And then all of a sudden, the kid in, at the at the latter stages, in the latter stages of both sets, started playing with like, I'm just going to hit big, but not try and end the point every shot I take. Move this 37 or 8-year-old around the court. And then when he leaves, finally leaves a ball short, because they will. Like, you can't have depth on every single defensive shot you're returning. When he finally leaves it short, then I'll go for the, the kill shot. And holy Christ, when he did that, man, my word... Was he good? And that's like, it's scary because when he played Oedash and won his maiden challenger title, you know, the impressive part of that was he did it on a a medium to medium slow court. It wasn't the title because that was a very weak field. Most of the elite challenger players were down under because they had Australian open qualifying. You had Canberra, like you had other events there and a lot of money in qualifying. So that was a pretty weak field. Give him credit though. Then I believe he goes to the final at Kimper as well. Lost to our boy Grégoire Barreff that we were just talking about. Um, he, he lost in the final in straight sets, coming off a long week, you know, but he still made a final. That was even more impressive. Better field, quicker surface. I mean, he is on a tear this year. 
RBAs is similar to um, Gasquet in the sense that they don't have the same game. You know, the top spin is is miles apart. But they're going to try and do the same thing to this kid. Teach him a lesson with point construction and patience. And they're going to, like, he's going to do the same thing that Gasquet did. You're going to have to beat me by being patient, opening up space, then going for the big shot. Felix just did that. And he's got the bigger game. He's super talented. He's got confidence. He's one of the better young players on tour. And eventually, we're not going to get these prices on these supremely talented teenagers. So you have to take it when you get this value before these prices stop appearing. Because eventually, the market will catch up. I think I'll be on the money line here. I think I'll be on the over um, even more than the plus games. uh, And maybe the first set over. All sorts of different things that combine you know, the correlated kind of underdog bets. I think I'll, I'll be looking at. Uh, and assessing which ones have the most value and then and picking and choosing which ones to back. Yeah, we're in the 250s. The 250 life is officially dog season. <laughs> and uh, if there's any country where the crowd really is a factor and the home player is motivated to a, a, a victory, it, it, France has got to be up there. We've seen this over time, most recently with Gaston, who his matches have increased the, the child birth rate <laughs> in recent years when he plays uh, in Paris or uh, at Roland Garros. So I, I think that's a good spot to chase uh, the games in a little on the, the money line here. I mean, RBA dropped two sets to Holt, let's not forget. And then I just watched Holt lose to Sangren last week <laughs> so anyway well, let's dig into this a little bit wider as a, a draw itself we have yannick sinner still yet to play he's going to take on marton fuchovic uh, kranovic outlasted karatsev he's going to play uh Sinego. did Sinego win yeah Sinego won i can't wait for the price on that if you can get kranovic as a dog um you can be you can rest assured i'll be on that uh at anything i mean not like even money. I'd say plus one, 110, 115 or above, I'll be on a uh, good old Philly cry. Is it funny I said Philly cry the week of the Super Bowl when they're playing KC? That wasn't even intentional. I just realized I did that. That was like, that was not even intentional. I swear to God. I'm just realizing I said that because that's what Patrick Mahomes is going to do this weekend. Anyway, back to tennis. Sorry. Are you on the Chiefs? I already bet the Chiefs too. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Rendrick Nix is currently serving this out. Husler. Runa is a rematch of, I have to say, I kind of like the winner of this match to kind of cruise to the semis, whether it's Husler or Runa, because they're going to take on the winner of uh, uh, Bublik or the Frenchman, and then uh, the winner of that, or the, whoever wins that match plays Nico, and then it's Nico, Bublik, or uh, Barre for <laughs> uh, Runa or Husler. So, I mean, whoever wins, I think I'm going to back Husler. Uh, depending on the um, the games line against Runa, but yeah, I think the, the those two guys I think are primed for a semifinal run here. Okay, so what the heck happened last year? Because I went to the ATP site this morning. It's like the main headlines: like Huesler sets Runa rematch in Montpellier. Like it's a rematch we've all been waiting for. What, what's the hype on that? <laughs> well, uh, Huesler beat him six four seven six in Sofia in the final, and that was when I was still disbelieving of Runa's hard, fast, hardcore abilities, and so I backed. Huesler in that matchup and I was going nuts because I think I had it like like plus 170 close around like plus 150 or plus 155 or something like that and he beat him in straight and like Runa was taking over in that second set I remember watching this I was actually dog sitting at my home so I was sitting on the couch like tapping my feet like a pure nerves because I'm you know Runa's pushing he's getting great points I'm like oh boy if Huesler doesn't win this tie break this is a 6-2 Runa third set written 
all over it and he comes through and wins it in the tv uh that was yeah huge matchup i remember that but i, I i'm not putting my money in Husler to do it again runa is just <laughs> even better than he was looks really solid he just got some indoor hardcore play on in davis cup i'm gonna i'm gonna stay away from backing Husler this time although i think you'll actually which is funny you'll get Husler, even though he's a more known commodity i think you'll actually get a better price than plus 170 this time right like how crazy is that? That Huser's gotten better and better, and he'll still be longer against the same opponent he already beat. Because the other guy has done even more since then, right? Beat Djokovic head to head, won a Masters one thousand, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Runa, I think is my top pick to win this thing, and then I, I, I think it's Runa or Husler for me to reach the final in the top uh, half. Uh, Torich would be another uh, name to keep an eye out for me. Although I think he could lose to Rinderknich uh, next round as well. Yeah, he just closed it out. So it is going to be Chorich versus Rinderknich. And uh, these guys just played at United Cup uh, to two tie breaks. So and uh, probably going to be in line for one of those, at least uh, coming up <laughs> here in Montpellier. And so I, I like Rinderknich or Chorich to, to outlast the, the Cressy, Imaru, Savori side. So I'll, I'll be backing. Man, I kind of want to play Rinderknich versus Chorich. I mean, the Frenchmen have a pretty good odds. As I said, they, they, they've won these a few times and we're running out of Frenchmen <laughs> now. Um, only a, a few left to back here. Halise won. Um, so the winner of uh, Fokina, Umber, will play Halise. And uh, yeah, I kind of like Halise there. Sinner, what are we what are we making of Sinner here? His first title was in Sofia on indoor hardcourt. So he obviously uh, has the goods on indoor hardcourt. That said, he is someone I hate backing on this podcast uh, as a tournament outright winner. No, thanks. For me. I am I... going to pray that the market looks at the Australian Open, saw Fukshevich's win two sets and say, oh my God, you know, he he had Sinner there. If this was best of three, he might have won. And they just like bet him down. I just keep betting him. He looked awful today. Awful. Like, uh, I, I don't want to get into his, but he played a no-name Frenchman who hits with way too much topspin, could barely put balls past the service box, had played five hours in qualies, not a quick court player, and he needed like seven five five four three match points on his serve, blows them, needed a third set where the kid ran out of gas, and he baggled them. But like, horrible for Martin Fuchsvix. You play like that, like, again, you can't use one match to kind of predict the next, but the fact is Fuchsvix has not been all that solid, and he hasn't looked very good since that collapse against Yannick Sinner, right? Like, he didn't look good at Davis Cup. He didn't look good in the last three sets at the Australian Open. Like, he didn't even cover that spread right <laughs> and he did not and it was Fam a big famously spread. did not yeah <laughs> so at those last three sets six are one six two six love six three six two six six seven two six and then you played a no-name challenger guy who's more of a clay court slow indoor player and you needed a tight two sets than a six love against a guy who had played five hours over the weekend fuchsvix has not looked good since that collapse to sin i don't know if there's something mental going on there he's kind of what the hell's happening but uh if i can get this to under five games i will take the four and a half on center believe that nice i mean it is set, set up for center like if he doesn't stub his toe on one of these guys i mean he's got fuchsvix he's got sinego krainovich staring him down i mean he wins those two matches he's in the semis and then he's gonna play you know either the young frenchman or halise the other frenchman or rba <laughs> again if he doesn't stop his toe he should make the final yeah i'm with you he should make the final and if he does play rune in the final dude just back rune for sure because sinner loses to big hitters all the time he loses the people that are ranked above him all the time he beats mm -hmm. people below him all the time thank 
goodness for him, he's ranked high, but he still loses to everybody that's ranked above him. So, yeah, if you get that Runa center match, uh, I would definitely take Runa for sure. That said, I mean, if Fuchovic does somehow miraculously pull this out, although, you know, however unlikely, I do kind of like Fuchovic uh, to take center's place. Kind of similar how I had the Runa Husler winner going on. I think Fuchovic is set up to at least make the semis and take down either Kranovich or Sinego um, in the next match. So um, that's how I how I look at this thing. I, I have um, – you just – you flipped me. I had Sinner winning it, which I hate having, but I'm going Runa now. Yeah, his rec- what's Runa. his record against the top 10? Um, Sinner. He's 3-9 and nine in the last 52 weeks against the top 10. For his career, he's like 9-22. and 22. He's it, – it's a well-known or well-documented yeah. kind of thing that he does struggle against – you know, those other, or those top 10 kind of guys. And Rune is in the top 10 right now, I believe. And he's, it's not just his ranking. He is, he's got surface versatility. He's one of the 10 best players in the world for my money anyway. Um, so that could be a really, really good uh, kind of proving ground for, for Yannick Sinner. Yeah. If you want me to read the guys that he lost to all last year, there's a common thread of all these guys hitting yeah. big. Sitsipas, Korda, Husler, Medvedev, Runa, Emers in the list. Um, Alcaraz, Felix, Busta, not a big hitter, but there's going to be an outlier, right? Novak, Novak does his own thing. Let's let's put that one to the side. Tommy, Paul, Rublev, Sitsipas again, Felix again, Zverev, Sarundalo, Hercats. This guy really doesn't have a good shot against guys that can slug so and keep the ball in court. So um, against Runa again, yeah, no thanks. I'll, I'll take Runa money line all day. All right, there you have it, and uh, I would say some dark horses. Would be for me, Chorich and Rindrignich, when winner of that one. I think uh, it's gonna scoot their way into the semis. Yeah, um, right. Our, dude, the real, the real dark horse is Bublik, just being sucker bets all the way through. <laughs> he did win here. Um, I, he, I, I wish I had his path. I don't have it in front of me. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we have a lot to go over still, so let's keep it moving on to the next site in Argentina. ATP Cordoba kicking off the golden swing in Argentina. This is the fifth year for this tournament. Uh, Albert Ramos Vignolas be a red hot Alejandro Tabilo last year to win. This is a clay grinders dream tournament. This was kicked off with the longest match in tournament history between Zapata and RCB at three hours and 27 minutes yesterday. Zapata picking up his second win and then head to head also was on a 10 set losing streak up until the second set there. It's got to be hot there all week in the 90s. It's supposed to rain Wednesday and Thursday and the weekend as well. So prepare for the timeline to complain about how poorly run these tournaments are, even though they have literally no control of the weather. So it's going to be that type of tournament. Uh, We are into the clay season, folks. Actually, before we hop into the draw talk, I I should provide evidence of why this is a clay grinder's dream. Because in the short history of this tournament, the winners include Juan, Ignacio Landero, Christian Garin, Juan, Manuel Sarundolo, and Ramos. So uh, that's a potluck of clay grinders taking this uh, thing home here. We have some odds up for matches tomorrow that we will kick it off with. We've already mentioned uh, Kachin. Let's just dive into that because I'm I'm pretty hot into that matchup uh, myself. Pedro Kachin versus Hugo Delin. Kachin yeah. is plus 145 on the money line. The favorite is at minus 175. Two and a half games on the spread. Neutral 22 and a half total here. Kachin has uh, beat this guy a couple times. 
Uh, now they they have a long history because these matches date back to like 2015 and 2014. But another reason I want to bring this up is a very winnable match for Kachin. After I mean, listen to the, listen to who this guy's had to play in his recent uh, in his recent run. This is uh, hilarious to me. Okay, so Kachin had to play Rusevori. Okay, uh, Busta, Lestian, Hachinov, Halis, Nori, Murray. These are not exactly like easy matches for this guy on hardcore. And now he has a very winnable match back on clay. John, what do you, what do you think? Look, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Hugo Dayan. He's one of the, one of those guys that's like, you know, the, you know, the baseball reference, a quadruple a player, like that guy who just tears up triple a T T he's great. Like one of the elite challenger tour clay grinders, but he just can't seem to cut it at tour level. That's kind of Hugo. And for me, I, I mean, I get the angle that Kachin is coming from, I believe, Finland, which is like Eastern Europe. It's, I think, seven hours ahead of where I am, 10 ahead of you instead of the the six and nine. And I get that. The travel's a big spot. They played till Sunday. Okay. But he's coming the other way, right? He's not losing six hours. He's gaining six hours. He's probably back by Monday night in South America. He's on home soil. He's going to have the crowd behind him. He's got a better serve for my money. Dayen is seen as like an elite point construction guy. Fair. I wouldn't dispute that he's very good at it. I also am not as big on him in that regard as most people are. He's got a punishing forehand, like the typical clay court forehand where he needs to wind it up, but he hammers it. You wonder why doesn't that translate onto hard courts and you realize it's because he needs time to set up that ground stroke. Kachin has the same thing. Kachin's got to serve. I mean, he's got the better resume. He's at tour level now. I get that you have to price in the potential travel fatigue spot a little bit. You have to price in that he hasn't played on clay yet this year where Dayan has played, I think, uh, the South America challengers that kicked off the clay court kind of play for 2023. But I don't understand how you can have a plus 155 on the board and 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 believe that that's the true price. Like how the market has let this sit there over plus 150 for, it's been six or seven hours. It was there when I woke up this morning. I don't think that's correct. I think as soon as this became a Wednesday match, we should have seen the same price movement as we saw with Bublik uh, in Montpellier. We should have seen me like, okay, it's not a Tuesday match. It's got to come back a little. And it hasn't. So, you know, I would I would certainly take that. Kachin won uh, yeah, Kachin won this matchup in straights uh at this very tournament two years ago. One of the one of the wins. And that was that was before Pedro Kachin had really taken the steps forward he has. It's before he developed a better serve and a, a more aggressive, heavier forehand. Dayan hasn't I mean, he's better than he was two years ago, but it's a marginal improvement. You know what I mean? So, like from just from a logical standpoint, it just doesn't make much sense. People can call it a trap. I don't think it's a trap. I think it's just an overvaluation of the travel spot on Kachin's part, and I think you can take advantage of that a little bit here. Uh, agreed. W- where are we at with Mr. Diego Schwartzman? The one seed here, the home home crowd favorite. He's only minus 130 on the money line against Juan Manuel Sarundalo, plus 110 as a dog. Diego is uh, he's out, he's lost in the wild. Uh, we don't, he's, he's a man who I don't believe uh, has a true identity right now as a tennis player, so I think that's part of the reason. But, I mean, he is, you know, on home soil, on clay, playing, you know, a pretty uneven player who will trend up in this tournament as well as one to before. So, as um, a qualifier, as a qualifier. So, you know, what what to make of this spot with Schwartzman? Yeah, I know. I was looking at this Cordoba open draw like the other day, and then I was like, dang, dude, good old 250 clay event. You always get reminded that like some guy like Del Bonus isn't collecting social security checks, and that you also. <laughs> You also get reminded that Frankie Sarundolo's got a brother. Uh, for this one, though, I'm like, okay, 
I'm in the same spot with this whole Bublik thing. Like, I don't, I, I know that you guys might see the other side of this, but I got to take Diego minus 130 here, right? I mean, if you look at his record last year, not great, but if you look at his clay record, it's pretty damn good. So I, I can't see that not being consistent to this year. So these odds, obviously, the odds makers, think that Diego sucks too. Like I think he sucks, but I don't think he sucks on clay. So yeah, I got to stick with Diego here. I'm actually right there with you. I'm not going to disagree. I, I actually, in my, in my uh, draw previews for uh, patrons, I said, I was like, look, I get that Diego's on a losing streak. I get that he's not playing well. All that kind of preface BS out of the way. Look at last year though. He didn't do well on clay. Didn't fare well after the French open, which is meaningless clay anyway. But look who he actually lost to on clay leading in. He made the semis here, lost to Tabilo in a close one. Tabilo's a very good player, probably a little more pop um, to bother him than Serundolo can provide. Goes to Buenos Aires, goes all the way to the final, loses to a certain Casper Rude, top five clay player in the world. Goes to the final of Rio, loses to another top five player in the world on clay, Carlos Alcaraz. Monte Carlo, quarterfinals, loses in three sets to another top five clay court player in the world, Stefano Tsitsipas. You know what I mean? Like Barcelona's a 500 level line, goes to the semis. It's not just that he had a good record on clay. It's that one, at big events, he was going deep. And two, the guys beating him were very, very good players. Uh, he lost to Dimitrov in Madrid. That's altitude. This has 400 meters of altitude. This is a bit of altitude. Uh, but Dimitrov has the serve to kind of capitalize. Juanma doesn't. And then at the French Open, he goes to the second week where he loses to another top five clay quarter in the world in Novak Djokovic. You know, and then, you know, a random loss to Marcos Garon. I won't sugarcoat it. That's not good. Like, I get it. But, I mean, he was very good on clay last year. I think you can write him off on hard courts if you want. I don't think you can write him off on clay. I, I don't think you can do that just yet. Until he loses this match, like, two and two, then we can write him off in Buenos Aires. But I would be hesitant to write him off just yet. If you believe in get-right spots uh, as a narrative or as, a, you know, something to, uh, to to believe or back in in sports, this is certainly... One of those spots for Mr. Diego Schwartzman and a cheap price to back him. Certainly the crowd will, I mean, probably be for both sides, but uh, certainly a bigger roar for Diego uh, in this matchup. All right, Dusan Leovich uh, has a match under his uh, legs already. He's taking on the reigning champion, Ramos. He is plus 115 as a dog. Uh, Ramos is minus 140 on the money line. I kind of think this is short, but it is. Is this one of those where I'm asking why is this priced this way? <laughs> then I'm gonna walk into a significant trap because uh, I feel like Ramos should be closer to minus one sixty, minus one seventy uh, favorite here as the, as defending champ. Uh, Leovich, obviously, a, a you know a, a veteran guy who you know has a little bit of game left, but uh, certainly would think this is on Ramos's racket a little bit more than at the minus one forty pricing uh john what are you what, what are your spidey senses with this uh this pricing i kind of like the over here i think dushan has got a, a, a solid serve the question is that that one-handed backhand holding up with that huge spin uh from ramos on that lefty forehand cross court could be uh, a question mark but Lajevich can if he if he can get used to that spin uh, i think he's adept and it's not going to be pacey like it's not going to be overly uh like powerful coming out of it. it's not going to take away a ton of time if he can get used to the the way it bounces up off the the court and start timing it he can absolutely take that down the line i feel like this one 
is very, very close. Uh, the odds kind of imply it. I don't love Dushan at plus. I got a plus 120 at Pinnacle. I don't love it there. I don't hate it, though. The number that catches my eye is a plus 138, plus 140 almost at uh, Pinnacle for the over two and a half sets market. If this one does go over, you feel like they're splitting sets. It is clay. We've seen tie breaks this week. Hell, we've got, you know, Garid Martinez as we record in a 12 game set that is threatening to go to a tie break. We've got, we had tie, a tie break yesterday in the first set of the tournament. They do happen on clay. So the over games could get there without going over two and a half sets. But I do feel like more often than not, if you get that over, which again, I feel is a pretty strong possibility, I'd rather bet the over two and a half sets than the over 22 games. And that 22 is juice. So it's really 22 and a half. That's where I'm looking for uh, for this matchup. I mean, his nickname is Three Set Ramos. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> this, has this guy ever won a Mansion Straits? <laughs> um uh, what about uh, Bagness versus uh, Chechenato here? This is that pick. We always joke about the bags on Bagness because uh, it's fun to say. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of feel like Bagness is a bit undervalued here because I don't think Chechenato is a very good player. It all depends where you get the price too, right? Like I got a plus 120 on Chechenato the other day. Uh, this was another play. Uh, this was the one I did take on the travel spot and – not as in love with it anymore that they're playing Wednesday. But uh, again, I got plus 120. I wouldn't take it at, at a pick here. This is another one with a lefty backhand into a one-handed righty backhand in cross-court rallies. So that could be potential concern. I think checking out on clay is just fine. And I, I'd say he's probably Bagnus is equal. It, it should be a close match. Like I, I think the price point is, is right at this point. Again, I saw a plus 120. You give me plus 120 and either of these guys, I'm going to take it. I'd do it if it was Bagnus at plus 120, right? It didn't, it didn't really matter who it was in a matchup that I have is pretty dead even. Uh, but at this point, I'd probably pass. I think this is is at a decent price point on both sides. Derek, I'm sure you're, you're really wanting to hop in on it with the take on that match. Oh, dude, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of both these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I, I have zero intentions of watching this match or betting on it <laughs> or even wanting to know the outcome of it. Uh, what about uh, Tomas Martin uh, Echeverry? He's a, a guy who I think people want to believe in uh, in the deep Twitter streets as a, a clay grinder. He's playing uh, uh, Sousa. He's laying four games, so he's a pretty heavy favor here on home soil. That seems like a lot to me, <laughs> for especially for how these uh, matches have been going. They've been, all been very tight. Any hot uh, Edgeberry takes, John? I actually, what I like, for him, and this one opened at minus 140. Another one where, again, a guy was playing Davis Cup in Europe. Now he's playing South America. Another Wednesday first rounder for that reason, of course. Uh, and again, the, the market was like, oh, that's wrong. And it, it, within 10 minutes or 15 minutes, pardon me, it went from minus 140 to minus 200 or minus 205 or 210 or whatever 1.49 is. Uh, I didn't get on that. I would have loved to be on that on the money line. I'd agree that four might be going a little too far. I'd probably have it in the three to three and a half range. So I'm there with you. I think it it, it, it adjusted properly. And then it was like, whoa, slow down, Nelly. Like you've gone too far with that kind of correction. Yeah, I, I'd probably pass it. But what I do have is a, a 20 to one outright on Echeverry. I think if Baez and Schwartzman are kind of over the hill, um, again, I wouldn't bet on that in an individual capacity. I'd wait to see it. I want to see them be both struggle on clay first. And that kind of, the Echeverry outright affords you that opportunity. Take someone on the bottom half where those two guys aren't. So even if they are still playing really well, he's got he's got the weaker half, 28 to 1. He's got the big forehand that could take advantage of the, the uh, altitude. He's got great fitness for these potentially long warlike battles. 
yeah, I like I like him on the outright mark. I wouldn't bet him in this match though. I think it's gone a little too far. Agreed. All right. Well, we're burying the lead here because podcast favorite, uh, at least for me, uh, Sebastian Baez, who is uh, on the opposite of a heater, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's coming in like one in 16. He's won one match since July. He's laying three and a half games to uh, ATP debutante Luciano Dodari, who won yesterday and cashed for us. We we bet on this this man. We faded Gaston. It's very profitable to fade Hugo Gaston of late. And yeah, Baez is at minus 240 on the money line. Dodari is plus 195. This is his second official main draw match now for Dodari, but Man, I mean, Baez is literally like, he's, <laughs> does he even have kindling to get a fire going? I mean, this guy is starting from scratch. And it's one of those things where there's a couple of reasons I'm going to bet Dardari here that almost feel like, hey, you said that you wouldn't bet against Schwartzman. You want to see him lose much? Why would you with Baez? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, I think there's just an undervaluation on Luciano Dardari. Like, he's a very good young player. You saw his first serve 1% of yesterday, right? It was like in the 80s or the whole first set. He was like 93 and he ended the match at 80-something. Kid's got game. It's heavy. It's it's pacey. He can hit. He has the patience and point construction to wait for these kind of wall-like pushers like Hugo Gaston, where he's not going to hit a ton of errors. He's going to wait them out and then still beat them. I love his game, man. And I think that there's a major undervaluation there. And the other part of it is, I know I shouldn't look at it this way, but the fact is the number's off for me. And I did win a bet. I had him to beat Hompfman in the first round of qualities. Small, it was only a half unit, but it was plus 155. So, I mean, you know, three quarters of a unit profit there. And then I had him relatively large to, to cover minus two against Hugo Gaston, which he did. So like, at this point, again, it should go into your bankroll. Bets in the past or in the past shouldn't matter. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, bro, the number's too steep. And you've already made good money on this guy. You got a little bit of house cash from him to play with. It's, it's like a free roll in the back of my mind. So yeah, I'm going to absolutely play Dardari at plus 200. Uh, Bet365. And the nice part about Bet365 too is they do that pro- like a promo where once the first set is done at the ATP Tour level, other guy retires, you get paid the profit amount in bet credits. And then if... Your guy retires, you get voided. So I think they're the best price in market. It's like a little perfect storm kind of thing. I don't know what to make of this uh, Baez situation. I mean, he. I would love to see him play well, but it is interesting. Like Dodari was the favorite against Gaston, like in his first ATP match against a guy who's made a deep run at a slam, who's made a deep run at a thousand event. Like now he's coming in as you know plus one ninety five against Baez. Who's, I mean, is maybe as stinky as it gets right now. Now he's back on clay, um, and he should, and you know, have the crowd behind him. But whew, I think the, the plus three and a half is uh, uh, pretty nice. It's, it's sprinkle on the money line is, is not terrible. Um, all right, well, let's make this wide uh, draw talk a little uh, short so we can get to Dallas here. But uh, I, I still have Diego uh, as my number one guy here, especially from the top half to get here, and not to get chalky, but Sarundalo bottom half. But now. Ramos, I think those are the names for me to watch in the, in the bottom half here. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Kachin could make a run as well if he gets through. The winner of Kachin and um, Dalin is playing Vavasori, Pella. They're probably going to make it uh, to the quarters. So uh, something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think uh, that's actually, I hadn't thought of that with um, with Pedro. Look, his first match is the tough one. And if he wins that, you're not really all that concerned about the travel spot anymore, right? If he overcomes the the potential like fatigue fade that everyone seems to be on him because of Davis Cup, if he were to come through like six four six three in that match, 
that's in the rear view mirror. Now you've got a great second round opponent and all of a sudden, you know, he's in the quarter to potentially pay play. I think it's what Diego's quarter there. Like uh, he'd have a chance against Diego Schwartzman. Derek, are you just going to full sit this one out? <laughs> okay. So I, I was uh, spending my time watching a one and a half minute recap of the Dadari Gaston match. Yeah. That guy's got some good rally tolerances. What I picked up from that one and a half minute freaking evaluation. But, um, yeah, no, I, I would throw all these names in a hat, but I would give Sarundolo, Frankie Sarundolo, about like three entries rather than giving every one of these other guys one entry and then just picking from that hat. Because, I mean, if you look at this this whole draw, it is pretty watered down. And uh, Frankie Sarundolo, I think he's a pretty damn solid freaking Chloe player. So, and I don't know, I, I can't see him really losing to any of these guys. At least he shouldn't is what I'm saying. Who did, who did he beat at the AO? He beat somebody pretty good. He lost to Runa. He... Well, he beat Pela in the first round. I know that. And then he uh, beat Mute. We were all on call today. Mute there. Oh, and yeah. then he took a set from uh, Felix, but lost in four. Okay. I like he won a set 6 3, but he lost the set 6 1, 6 1, 6 4. So like he wasn't that close to Felix. Like let's not pretend like it was a close four sets in a hard fought battle. It was pretty one way traffic there. All right, well, let's turn the page to ATP Dallas uh, American Soil. Uh, this is the second year for this event. Uh, Riley Opelka won last year. Uh, it's indoor hard. He beat Brooksby 7-6, 7-6 in the final. And uh, prepare for a lot of 7-6s this week because they're going to be coming at you fast and often. Opelka also outlasted Isner in one of the longest tie breaks ever. Uh, into the 20s was that tie break. It's a big server's dream courts uh, and the potential to meet uh, George W. Bush. So there you go. He was at the final last year. <laughs> now, Fritz is the headliner here, followed by Tiafo on the other side of the bracket. I have zero, unless like complete disaster reigns, Fritz's level is all over the place. But in this setup, I, I kind of think he's going to roll to the final here. But we'll, we'll, we can keep doing what we're doing and, and going over some odds for matches tomorrow. Easy E, Emilio Gomez. I just nicknamed him that. Taro Daniel. Taro was laying three games. He's a minus 220 on the money line favorite against Mr. Gomez. Gomez, I think, is a challenger level player, uh, but he is pretty good on indoor hardcore. Uh, made a decent run last week in Cleveland on the challenger scene. I don't know. I feel like uh, this is a potential trap spot for Taro. Well, I don't know if it's a trap spot. I think he's just overvalued, like incredibly overvalued. Emilio's can move well, get tracks down balls in the outer thirds well. Big serve, big forehand. Not a extremely dynamic game. It's pretty straightforward, but it's pretty perfectly geared for quick indoor hard courts. And Daniel's, you know, everyone talked in Australia last year about his improvement on serve. It's, he's still not a quick court natural though, right? So to be such a, to be a favorite, I get, oh, I get somewhat like a, but I don't know how Gomez is above a plus 140 here. You know what I mean? Like plus 175 is still available. The rest of the market is around plus 160, plus 165s are out there. But that's Those are still big numbers for a guy who's really well acclimated to indoor hard, especially the American indoor hard courts where they play quicker because he plays so many American challengers, right? He's built his ranking on those, those weaker fields at American challengers and going to the final every week. You can get an over 21 and a half for $1.85 on lightning quick courts, with a good server in Gomez. Daniel's a decent returner, but um, you know, his serve will play up, and Emilio's not exactly um, you know, the most adept guy on return. I feel like the overs here would, would be a good look. The plus games and, and then a sprinkle on the Emilio money line wouldn't be terrible looks at all. The one thing that surprised me about Tarot Daniel is that 
he's actually 30 years old. I always thought he was like a young guy. And then I always have to be reminded of that. Yeah. And that makes me think that he's just not as fast as he, as I think he is. And every single time I watch him, I'm like, oh, his game's a little slower than what I would expect it to be. So the three games for Emilio Gomez, dude, it's not a bad look. I feel like Taro had that like resurgence at the beginning of last year. And then that tapered off, and he's yeah. still getting he's still getting priced uh, based off that little resurgence from from last year. Um, now he can certainly you know win six four six four, you know, but Gomez I don't think uh, is a bad look either. Christopher Eubanks, who I've maligned uh, many times in this podcast, is now a favorite here in Dallas uh, at minus one fifty five on the money line against Oscar Acha, who was plus one. 30 totals a little jacked up here because uh, i am expecting two tie break sets uh, as well it's 25 man Atta, he's been pretty bad uh, eubanks has actually been quietly on a heater for for him if you include the challenger level so i i get the pricing here um but still man like taking a money line shot on chris eubanks at minus 155 <laughs> against like a, a veteran tour player like Atta. not that he's like the greatest but he definitely has more of a tour career than the new banks am i right or wrong on that john no i'd agree with that yeah a little, little scary but i would say eubanks is a lot more informed but this is going to be just like fucking serve fest so if i asked you what percentage you gave the first set to reach a tie break like all things considered okay you got a double falter on force here like how often would you think this first set goes to a tie break over 60 percent of the time okay well i mean it's it's plus 210 at pinnacle like wow. your your break even point is under 33%. To me, that's going to be a play. And it, it just is. I, I don't have this going to a tie break fewer than one in three. Not two and three, one in three. I get that like tie breaks are like it only takes one bad game of like second serves and the guy pounds a couple, and then you, you know, one double fault, one on four stare, one meatball second serve gets crushed and you're in trouble. I get that. And I get the tie breaks are more rare than I think, you know, we think of it in even these spots but you know 30 to 31 percent imply but that's just way too way too low for me i'm like looking at the sets played i don't know if you really think you want to take the over uh three sets is plus 120 so uh if you were looking to bet the over i think that's a nice bet and then as i mentioned taylor fritz is the number one seed he's taking on jack sock sock came through for john yesterday a plus three won it outright even for you john how about that against well i didn't have i didn't have that I didn't have that. I was happy for him. I was just on a lot of first set bets. I was worried about the fitness. Turns out that wasn't the concern. I was just on 2-2 two, two after 4, 3-3 three, three after 6, first set over 10.5, first set tiebreak. After the first set, I had all my bets cleared. I was done. I was watching for fun. And then, of course, he's down 4-1, and he's not a great returner, and the courts are lightning fast. I'm like, ah, screw this. All four bets are done. And he comes back, and like both of them gut out holes at the end to get all the way to a tiebreak. Just masterful stuff from jack sock so i'm pretty happy with jackie boy on that one yeah for sure now obviously we've seen a lot of tie breaks here and they have this jacked up to four and a half but uh, you talk about that uh the fitness coming into play here is there any chance that that match did not literally take everything that jack sock has to uh to make it and see that's the thing again like we're into that danger zone again where i'm like dude if he's gonna be competitive you feel like it's almost got to be in the first set so back to the well we go if if you like i'm not saying i'm gonna be on this i'm just saying if you like jack sock to keep things close for like 10 games you know the over nine and a half is minus 120 if fritz sorry if sock 
wins the toss and chooses to serve first, that means that he like Fritz has to double break him in the first set to hit that under nine and a half on these courts with Sox or I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I think the way to back him here is again, for just trust him in the first set. Don't trust him past that. You know what I mean? When Jack Sock gets on a treadmill, how long do he stays on there for? Or how long do you think he stays on there for? Like um, maybe like half a post Malone album. <laughs> I was thinking like, a, yeah, uh, maybe two, two post Malone songs. <laughs> And a Lizzo song. And like into the chorus of the third song. And then he, his legs fall apart. He starts cramping up. If Fritz doesn't, I, I mean, this tournament, look, Isner is obviously in the draw here, but if Fritz doesn't win this tournament, just admit you're not the best American. You it have could to come him and foe. You could, right? yeah. I, I agree. It could be, it could be him and foe. Foe has a trap spot, though, against if Wolf can sneak through. I, I assume he's going to beat Holt. He better, uh, he better freaking beat Holt. Or else what? I feel robbed of my hard-earned wagering money by Brandon freaking Holt. So I'm turning this into my rant. Are you freaking kidding me? Gabriel Diallo, six foot seven, moves really well, monster serve, huge forehand, four set points in the first set. Four, including one in his serve. Hits a first serve, gets a ball in the service box, pounds it into an unforced air. Loses the set. Then he leads. He's down a break early in the second recovery. He's up 5-3, serving for the set. Guy's six foot seven on these courts. Keep that in mind. My fellow Canadian collapsed again. <laughs> lost the second set. Just gross. Holt, no, I want to see him lose love and love. I want J.J. Wolf to take him to the woodshed. If he does, he's then going to take... Uh, who, the, I mean, Albot is probably going to be Crawl, who I believe is an SMU kid. <laughs> Um, oh, is it SMU or T? Oh, I said TCU in my preview. That's what it is. It's SMU that's in Dallas. Yeah. So, uh, right. Wolf, if Wolf gets by Holt, which we think he will, I, I mean, I will. He's going to beat the crap yes. out of Albot. Or, or else and we'll the, have the, a the, the continuation bar... of a Reed rant next week. <laughs> <laughs> the bar for crawl is at one game. Um, that is what the SMU wildcard had last year, Chakravarthy. Uh, he came in, played Vashik Pospisil. He was a little prospect in American tennis, not one of the better ones, but there's some there's some people in the, the hipster world who know his name, and he came in and lost love and won. He won one, one game. One. Not Yikes. two, one. Yikes. All right. Well, I think the winner the winner of uh, Yibling Wu and Michael Moe, whoever gets out of that match, uh, is got a pretty good shot against Chapo here. Match of the tournament for me would be if Wu isn't gassed from last week in Cleveland. That to me would be the match of the one of the matches of the tournament, and it would be in the second round. Wu and Chapo, and then the only one I think that could eclipse that for entertainment value for me would be like Fo and Fritz in a potential. I think that would be the final or the semis. Uh, yeah. No, it'd be the final. The top two final. seeds. What am I saying? Yeah, I yeah, also so, no. That's just the two matches of the tournament for me if they were to happen. Uh, I also uh, this is sad to report, but John Isner is going to make the semifinals of this event, if not the final. I mean, he's going to be saying he's going to be. His next round, whether it's Savage or Altmaier, he's going to be Kekmanovic or Tero or Gomez. And then he's in the semifinals. So, I mean, this is, he lives in Dallas. They basically made this mm-hmm. uh, tournament for John Isner. It's basically the Isner Open. So then it's on uh, Big Foe. Although I have to be honest, Big Foe to me is prime to quick exit this thing. I, I actually think Mackey's not a big bad look. Uh, against Big Foe. 
I, I've seen him in one, like all these guys are like so stoked to be there. Like I see them out and about. I've seen like one social media thing of Francis and I had to like hunt for it. It was on a story. It would not shock me that this guy catches a plane pretty quick out of here and losing yeah. to Mackey isn't a bad loss for him, but I could be wrong. Oh, you mean? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be a terrible loss, but he should be going deep. Yeah. Really should. I think he and these these courts should help him too. Like in every match he's in, he should be holding every not every. Uh, he, I, no one's going to hold every single game if your name isn't John Isner, Riley Pelkey. But in every match he's in, he should be holding ninety to ninety five percent of the time, and he's got the athletic advantage over like anyone he's going to play. So he's going to be the more likely guy to find any pressure points on return and potentially find a break. Like I think Foe is really well suited for this tournament, but like you said, it, it all depends on a, a motivation thing too. Maybe he wants to get on the plane and get out. When do you think Chapo goes out? Right. If it's if Wu Yabing is there and I see him play well tonight against Mo and he doesn't look super tired, I think Wu has a great shot at beating him. What about Manorino just won? He's probably going to beat Jordan Thompson. So Manorino is also a, a potential spot for Chapo to lose. Yeah. I think it's got to be Wu or it'll be like Fritz in the se- that's semis, right? That's Chapo's. Yeah, Chapo's I guess you're right. I, I should take it. I will. If you lose to Chapo, no, you need to, you need to beat Chapo. This is Taylor Fritz. If yeah. you lose this tournament, you just need to admit it. You're not the best American. <laughs> <laughs> that's an open conversation. <laughs> Dude, I think even Michael Mo would give uh, Chapo a hard time, even if I know he would. I agree. Wouldn't like get through. I if, think Michael Mo is pretty underrated. If they meet at Indian Wells. I can I can almost guarantee you I'd get plus three hundred or so. I will I would guarantee you I'd be on Michael Mo in Dallas because it's quicker. It's just it's the complete. It just favors Chapo. It's like those slow courts in Indian Wells. Mo could run down Chapo shots. Wait for those you know low margin you know not trick shots but just really stupid shots that he goes for that look pretty when they land but don't land ninety percent of the time. He could just wait for those from from Chapo. But here, man, like this mm. this is where Chapo could thrive. You think yeah. Chapo can thrive somewhere? <laughs> hey man, he's he's got he's got it. He's got runs in him. If by some miracle Isner does lose tonight before I even have this out, <laughs> that is like complete chaos of who's gonna come out of that quarter because that'll be Sang versus the winner of Savajda Altmeyer, and then Gomez Daniel versus like Kashmanovic. Like I mean, that's anybody's quarter. That's gonna be chaos but uh i think isner's isner's got it so all right guys well i believe we have reached the end if you like what you heard please consider giving us a, a rating a review a subscribe follow us at mp9 tennis uh, does anyone have any final thoughts here going into the weekend going into the week rather we're we're, we're ahead uh this yeah. week we're on a tuesday enjoy the super bowl yeah don't forget to do that for sure there's a lot of tennis to be had, but don't forget there's other sports as well. John and I are on the Chiefs. I'm on the Eagles. Derek is on the Eagles. All right. Follow uh, us at MP9 Tennis. Follow Derek at Ferrer versus Nicole. Follow John at Tippins Tennis at Jared Tweets Tennis. Until next time, see you on the court.